Chapter Thirteen of The Quirt by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen. Lone takes his stand. Lone Morgan, over at Elk Spring Camp, was just sitting down to eat his midday meal when someone shouted outside. Lone stiffened in his chair, felt under his coat, and then got up with some deliberation and looked out of the window before he went to the door. All this was a matter of habit, bred of Lone's youth in the feud country, and had nothing whatever to do with his conscience. Hello, he called, standing in the doorway and grinning a welcome to Swan, who stood with one arm resting on the board gate. She's on the table. Come on in. I don't know if you're home with the door shut like that, Swan explained, coming up to the cabin. I chased a coyote from Rock City to here. And by golly, he's going yet. I'll get him sometime, maybe. He's smart, but you can beat anything with thinking, if you don't stop thinking. Always the other fellow stops sometimes, and then you get him. You believe that? It most generally works out that way, Lone admitted, getting another plate and cup from the cupboard, which was merely a box nailed with its bottom to the wall and a flour sack tacked across the front for a curtain. Even a coyote slips up now and then, I reckon. Swan sat down, smoothing his tussled yellow hair with both hands as he did so. My golly, my shoulder is sore yet from carrying Brit Hunter, he remarked carelessly, flexing his muscles and grimacing a little. Lone was pouring the coffee, and he ran Swan's cup over before he noticed what he was doing. Swan looked up at him and looked away again, reaching for a cloth to wipe the spilled coffee from the table. How was that? Lone asked, turning away to the stove. What all happened to Brit Hunter? Swan, with his plate filled and his coffee well sweetened, proceeded to relate with much detail the story of Brit's misfortune. By golly, I don't see how he don't get killed. He finished, helping himself to another biscuit. By golly, I don't. Falling into Spirit Canyon is like getting dragged by a horse. It should kill a man. What you think, Lone? It didn't, you say? Lone's eyes were turned to his coffee cup. You don't kill Brett Hunter, not yet. I think maybe he dies with all his bones broke like that. By golly, that shows you what could happen if a man don't think... Britt should look at that chain on his wheel before he starts down that road. Oh, his brake didn't hold, eh? I'll look at that wagon. Swan answered carefully. It is something funny about that chain. I worked hauling logs in the mountains once. It is something damn funny about that chain, the way it's fixed. Lone did not ask him for particulars, as perhaps Swan expected. He did not speak at all for a while, but presently pushed back his plate as if his appetite were gone. It's like Fred Thurman, Swan continued moralizing. If Fred don't ride backwards, I bet he don't get killed like that. Where's Britt now? Lone asked, getting up and putting on his hat. At the ranch? Well, heaven, maybe, Swan responded sententiously. But my dog, Yak, he don't howl yet. I guess Britt's at the ranch. Sorry, I'm busy today, 
said Lone, opening the door. You stay as long as you like, Swan. I got some riding to do. I'll wash the dishes, and then maybe we'll think quicker than that coyote. I'm after him, by golly, till I get him. Lone muttered something and went out. Within five minutes, Swan, hearing hoofbeats, looked out through a crack in the door and saw Lone riding at a gallop along the trail to Rock City. Good bait. He swallowed the hook, he commented to himself, and his good-natured grin was not brightening his face while he washed the dishes and tidied the cabin. With Lone rode bitterness of soul and a sick fear that had nothing to do with his own destiny. How long ago Brett had been curled into the canyon, Lone did not know. He had not asked, but he judged that it must have been very recently. Swan had not told him of anything but the runaway, and of helping to carry Brett home, and of the damn funny thing about the chain. The rough lock, he must have meant. Too well, Lone understood the sinister meaning that probably lay behind the phrase. They've started on the court now, he told himself with foreboding. She's been telling her father. Lone fell into bitter argument with himself. Just how far was it justifiable to mind his own business? And if he did not mind it, what possible chance had he against a power so ruthless and so cunning? An accident to a man driving a loaded wagon down the Spirit Canyon grade had a diabolic plausibility that no man in the country could question. Britt, he reasoned, could not have known before he started that his rough lock had been tampered with. Else he would have fixed it. Neither was Britt the man to forget the break on his load. If Britt lived, he might talk as much as he pleased. But he could never prove that his accident had been deliberately staged with a murderous intent. Lone lifted his head and looked away across the empty miles of sageland to the quiet blue of the mountains beyond. Peace, the peace of untroubled wilderness, brooded over the land. Far in the distance against the rim of rugged hills was an irregular splotch of brown, which was the headquarters of the sawtooth. Lone turned his wrist to the right, and John Doe, obeying the rain signal, left the trail and began picking his way stiff-legged down the steep slope of the ridge, heading directly toward the home ranch. John Doe was streaked with sweat and his flanks were palpitating with fatigue when Lone rode up to the corral and dismounted. Pop Bridgers saw him and, and came bow-legged eagerly forward with gossip titillating on his meddlesome tongue, but Lone stalked by him with only a surly nod. Bob Warfield he saw at a distance and gave no sign of recognition. He met Hawkins coming down from his house and stopped in the trail. Have you got time to go back to the office and fix up my time, Hawkins? He asked without prelude. I'm quitting today. Hawkins stared and named the biblical place of torment. What are you quitting for, Lone? He added incredulously. All you boys got a raise last month. Ain't that good enough? Plenty good enough as long as I work for the outfit. Well, what's wrong? 
You've been with us five years, Lone, and it's suited you all right so far. Lone looked at him. Say, I never set out to marry the Sawtooth, he stated calmly. And if I have married you all by accident, you can get a bill of divorce for desertion. This ain't the first time a man ever quit you, is it, Hawkins? No, and there ain't a man on the payroll we can't do without, Hawkins retorted, his neck stiffening with resentment. It's a kind of rusty trick, though, Lone, quitting without notice and leaving a camp empty. Elk Spring won't run away, Lone assured him without emotion. She's been left alone a week or two at a time during roundups. I don't reckon the outfit'll bust up before you get a man down there. The foreman looked at him curiously, for this was not like Lone, whose tone had always been soft and friendly, and whose manner had no hint of brusqueness. There was a light, too, in Lone's eyes that had not been there before. But Hawkins would not question him further. If Lone Morgan, or any other man, wanted to quit, that was his privilege, providing, of course, that his leaving was not likely to menace the peace and security of the Sawtooth. Lone had made it a point to mind his own business always. He had never asked questions, he had never surmised or gossiped. So Hawkins gave him a check for his wages and let him go with no more than a foreman's natural reluctance to lose a trustworthy man. By hard riding along shortcuts, Lone reached the Quirt Ranch and dropped reins at the doorstep not much past mid-afternoon. I rode over to see if there's anything I can do, he said when Lorraine opened the door to him. He did not like to ask about her father, fearing that the news would be bad. Why, thank you for coming. Lorraine stepped back, tacitly inviting him to enter. Dad knows us today, but... Of course he's terribly hurt and can't talk much. We do need someone to go to town for things. Frank helps me with Dad, and Jim and Sari are trying to keep things going on the ranch. And Swan does what he can, of course, but... I just thought you maybe needed somebody right bad, said Long quietly, meaning a great deal more than Lorraine dreamed that he meant. I'm not doing anything at all right now. So I can just as well help out as not. I can go to town right away, if I can borrow a horse. John Doe, he's pretty tired. I've been pushing him right through, not knowing there was a town trip ahead of him. Lorraine found her eyes going misty. He was so quiet, and so reassuring in his quiet. Half her burden seemed to slip from her shoulders while she looked at him. She turned away, groping for the door latch. You may see, Dad, if you like, while I get the list of things the doctor ordered. He left only a little while ago, and I was waiting for one of the boys to come back so I could send him to town. It was on Lone's tongue to ask why the doctor had not taken in the order himself and instructed someone to bring out the things. But he remembered how very busy with its own affairs was Echo, and, de and decided that the doctor was wise. He tiptoed into the bed and saw a sallow face covered with stubbly gray whiskers and framed with white bandages. Britt opened his eyes and moved his thin lips in some kind of greeting, and Lone sat down on the edge of a chair, 
feeling as miserably guilty as if he himself had brought the old man to this pass. It seemed to him that Britt must know more of the accident than Swan had told, and the thought did not add to his comfort. He waited until Britt opened his eyes again, and then he leaned forward, holding Britt's wandering glance with his own intent gaze. I ain't working now, he said, lowering his voice so that Lorraine could not hear. So I'm going to stay here and help see you through with this. I quit the sawtooth. Britt's eyes cleared and studied Lone's face. Do you know anything? No, I don't. Lone's face hardened a little. But I wanted you to know that I'm with the court now. Frank hire you? No, I ain't hired at all. I'm just with you. We need you, said Britt grimly, looking Lone straight in the eyes. End of chapter 13. Recording by Tom Penn.